Welcome back to the Simple Engineer Podcast. My name is Andrew Rowe. You can find me by searching Andrew Rowe on YouTube, or if you're watching the VOD, just stay where you are. You found it. Uh, where I make tech and engineering videos, or just follow me on Twitter. That's at AROSEC. That's A-R-O-E-S-E-C on Twitter. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about Web3. Now, what is Web3? Should be your, you know, your first question if you don't already know. So Web3 is broadly hailed by technology evangelists as the future of the internet, but what exactly is that? As buzzwords such as blockchain, NFTs, and decentralized currency are spewed out of every tech dude's Twitter like a waterfall, Web3 actually seems as though it has an actual chance of offering every person in the internet value without all the nonsense that comes along with new tech. So to give a backstory on what exactly Web3 means, let's look back at both Web1 and Web2. Web1 was around in the early 90s and persisted until about 2005 and was coined the read-only web. It contained static web pages with no interactive features. This meant no features that changed on the website uh, based on the visitor's behavior. So think of any contact form, uh, specific geolocation data, any of that stuff. None of that was happening. You basically just went onto a website. You saw a dump of information. You couldn't really interact with that information or comment or change any of it. Um, these websites were largely just an information dump and actually were pretty based. Uh, most website data wasn't stored in databases, at least in the early days, and instead was stored directly on the actual website files. The sites, as you can imagine, weren't very aesthetically appealing since almost all development was based on misusing HTML templates or elements. There wasn't a lot of information on HTML at the time. Um, browser issues were common and browsers such as Internet Explorer offered custom support of proprietary HTML tags to offer ease of use. So one of the big features of Web1 was actually just having cool browsers that actually helped you with development because of such a pain in the ass. Basic features like submit forms and send data directly to a client or a customer didn't exist and peer-to-peer -peer communications were extremely bare bones. Now, if we fast forward to Web2, which is exactly what we see today, but what marked the transition between the two? Well, for starters, Web2 was known as the read-write web, meaning clients could interact with websites to both store and receive specific types of data. Web2 saw the usage of database to leverage user-based content, such as comments, content storage, and the ability of web servers to process server-side scripting languages. Web2 succeeded Web1 by being dynamic and paved the way for the explosion of most social media platforms we see today. So think of your, you know, Twitters, Facebooks, Instagrams, all those kinds of things where you are interacting with tons of com uh, content. You're putting your own content out there. Instagram is inserting its own content in a way that you probably don't want it to by listening to your phone and kind of giving you ads. But that's another that's for another podcast. Um and you're interacting with a lot of different posts from other people. Think of that interaction as Web2. Information sharing tripled as users were able to interact with data, websites, and each other in ways never seen before. So now that we have that out of the way, what is Web3? Well, first of all, it isn't some unnatural phenomenon. The World Wide Web seems to iterate or upgrade about every 10 years, so this seems to be kind of natural progression. But before we get into what Web3 is, I feel like we should define a few things, mainly what is blockchain? Now, I absolutely implore you to not look at the hashtag blockchain on Twitter or look at anyone's opinion on blockchain that happens to live in the Los Angeles area or considers themselves a quote unquote influencer. The term has become synonymous with NFTs and to full disclosure, I'm not against NFTs. I'm kind of just against the way that they're being used right now. And it seems just like a cash grab because it's an unregulated market. And a lot of these influencers have a lot of young kids. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of these influencers have a lot of young kids that they can easily essentially steal money from. So, um, but I, I think it's a great technology. Uh, I think it's the technology of the future. I just think we need to figure out a way to regulate some of it. And some of us need to pull our heads out of our asses. Um, 
but it screams cash grabbed in so many ways. However, the decentralized infrastructure that blockchain is built upon is actually quite beautiful, like I said. So with that said, blockchain is a shared immutable ledger that facilitates the recording of transactions and tracking assets in a network. An asset could be anything from a house to a car or land, cash, or even intellectual property, which is essentially what NFTs try to accomplish. The intellectual property portion is what facilitates, like I said, NFTs and other tokens. But the important part is that virtually anything can be tracked and traded on the blockchain network, reducing risk and supporting decentralized methodologies. Peer-to-peer -peer trades can be facilitated by things called smart contracts that are stored in the blockchain and executed automatically. A smart contract speaks to a definition of conditions or in terms for both parties to meet in order to satisfy some sort of agreement. These contracts are essentially executing software agreements uh, comprised of pieces of code that run on things like the Ethereum blockchain. But enough about blockchains. How does this concept actually fit into Web3? So since the premise of Web3 is entirely based on decentralized networks, applications, blockchain, and specifically the Ethereum blockchain, um, they're really looking to leverage the Ethereum blockchain because I think it's one of the most well put together and scalable blockchains that we have. Um, using something called IPFS or interplanetary file system will kind of facilitate this scalability and file sharing. I just want to take a moment to really relish in the fact that we have something called an interplanetary file system right now. I think that's kind of surreal. Um, but this file system essentially means that instead of all the content coming from a uh, centralized server, IPFS will facilitate local nodes to render your content in a much more efficient way, shortening load times, obviously. But think of it like it's almost like edge computing, but decentralized edge computing. Uh, communication will be via distributed peer-to-peer -peer file sharing system. This will open up the market to direct-to-consumer content sales to utilize smart, uh, smart contracts and decentralized web applications. Um, Internet-based middlemen, so to speak, will no longer be required to facilitate transactions and the sale of goods, meaning if someone creates some sort of decentralized application on Web3 as an engineer, they can essentially be paid directly and there doesn't have to be some sort of Stripe payment or anything like that. You're paying them directly to the blockchain, which as I'm saying that right now, there could be some issues arising there with taxes and whatnot, but that's not a that's not an issue for me to figure out, or, or maybe it is. But this essentially renders Web3 as an unmediated read-write internet as opposed to web two version of consolidated read write. Users can, like I said, directly profit from their decentralized creations and offer direct to consumer peer to peer transactions and low latency content delivery. As a side note, if you're someone that's looking to get into early web three programming, check out web3.js and do some prototyping on how you can uh, build your first decentralized web app. As a final caveat, I will say this is not an endorsement of any tech or any of the tech spoken about in this episode. It is, however, to provide context surrounding Web3 and to invoke deep conversation with the possibilities that blockchain and decentralized technology can facilitate. Be careful when operating in this space, as like I said, it is fairly unregulated. And as of this episode, there are tons of people getting into the space for the wrong reasons, as is the case with any new movement or idea. People just pop in for money's sake. So I, th I think the full scale of how we can actually leverage this technology will come out in the next five to 10 years, hopefully five, hopefully three to five. Um, but like I said, usually anytime there's some sort of cash grab to be had, people in Los Angeles, I, I don't mean to dogpile in Los Angeles, I'm kind of just speaking about the influencer culture, will not really sit down and, and see how the tech can be utilized for good. They'll just kind of see how they can utilize the tech to create some sort of monetary gain, which there's nothing wrong with that if you're doing that in the right ways. It just seems to be that they're not doing it in the right ways and they're kind of utilizing and, and weaponizing their under 16 fan base to 
make tons of money, but it's neither here nor there. It's kind of here though. Um, but yeah, decentralized currency and internet, in my opinion, will lead to the most good for all societies. Again, if you're thinking of most good in the moral sense, kind of what what's the most good that you can provide for any group of people? I think decentralized currency um, and even World Wide Web or the internet as a whole will provide the most good for societies going forward and may even be the key to advancing civilization and commerce as a whole. But until the next episode, I will see you guys later. Take care.